0: Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. During the months of July and August, we'll be looking at John Knox, Scotland's reformer. If you'd like to learn more about John Knox, and there is a lot to learn, there's plenty of resources online. And if you prefer books, a good starting point is an excellent little primer, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. It's just 100 pages, and it's packed with fast-moving information about Knox, and there's a link to buy the book on www.semper-reformata.com throughout July and August. Just follow the link in the episode notes. The book costs just £5.49. A small part of that goes to support this podcast. The Book of the Month John Knox, Fearless Faith by Stephen Lawson. Welcome to the Semper Reformata Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Welcome to this special podcast, rather unexpectedly, I am once again breaking into my self-imposed August furlough to speak to you, and I want to talk to you about the Great Siege. The second Saturday in August, which is today, is what we call in Northern Ireland Derry Day, the day when we meet to commemorate a special historical event, a siege. It's actually a very important event in our cultural and political history. This siege occurred in 1689. That's about a year after William of Orange had landed at Torbay and the glorious revolution throughout the British Isles was effectively ending almost a century of rule by the Stuart dynasty. It was a period that had brought a great burden of suffering upon those who, by conscience, would not conform to Roman ritual or rule of the Church by state-appointed bishops. In Ireland, where James II's Viceroy, Richard Talbot, the Earl of Tyrconnell, the Catholic, had completely restructured the army with troops loyal to James and, with a Catholic chain of command, His general on the ground at Londonderry at the time of the siege was a man called Conrad von Rosen. The Reverend George Walker, who at the time was a governor inside the city of Londonderry, quoted Rosen, who swore by the belly of God that he would demolish our town and bury us in its ashes, putting all to the sword without consideration of age or sex, and would study the most exquisite torments to lengthen the misery and pain of all he found obstinate or active in opposing his commands and pleasure. So James and the army under Rosin surrounded the city of Londonderry. There would have been those inside the city who were prepared to compromise and to allow the army within the city and to surrender. In fact, James's forces were poorly organised and they mostly occupied the hills around the city. But the threat of what Rosen had, would do when he entered the city was like a sword hanging over the population. The townspeople would have none of it. And twelve brave apprentice boys ran to the city gates and closed the gates of the city, effectively preventing the town from being overrun. That was an act of disobedience to the king and the government, an act of disobedience which saved the city. The real advantage that James had was that, with the city surrounded and the gates closed, the only way to bring supplies into the city was via the River Foyle, and a simple blockade was enough to stop that from happening. The city soon suffered the effects, mainly starvation, Many inside died simply of famine and hunger. Inside the city, conditions were appalling. It is reported that up to 4,000 people lost their lives during the siege from both enemy bombardment and hunger. Of course the use of hunger and starvation to weaken and demoralize an enemy was nothing new at that time. That's been a tactic from the earliest times of warfare. In the Bible there's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 24 to verse 30. It's a horror story about what happens under siege conditions. It occurred around 850 years before the Lord Jesus when the king of Syria, a man called bin hadad had besieged Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Let me read it to you. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host, and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And, behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four square pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, help O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn's floor, or out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son, that we may eat him to-day and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son, and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes. And he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Can you see the effects of the hunger in that story? And the sheer depths of human depravity. How far we will stoop in our sinfulness. You can see that in such times the people under siege are utterly helpless. Confined within the city walls, the food supply runs out. In that case in Israel, they had started eating the most basic stuff. The head of a donkey was selling for a huge price. Dung was selling for a huge price and people had stooped even to eating their own children. Even the king can't help. The king has no food to give. The king's utter helplessness is demonstrated in that he tore his clothes, an ancient indication of deep grief, and when he tore his clothes beneath his torn royal garments and next to his skin, he was wearing loose, coarse sackcloth the king identifying with his people reminding himself that his own people were in torment a physical siege was awful but there's another kind of siege and there's another kind of hunger the bible and the protestant faith that we celebrate on a day like this reminds us that every one of us is under siege Reminds us that we are cut off from the God who made us. That we are starved of life-giving food. That we groan under the burden of our sin. And like in any siege condition, the end result is certain to be death. We are besieged by our own sinfulness. And the wages of sin is death. And all the forces that surround us are very powerful. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and Verse 11, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In 1689, as the city of Derry lay in peril and death a rescue attempt was mounted by order of the Duke of Schomburg. A small flotilla of ships with food sealed into lock Foyle, and finding the mouth of the city blocked by a boom, they anchored in Loch swilly, awaiting further orders. Their rescue attempt seemed doomed to fail. And what of us? In our state of spiritual siege and great hunger, we actually have a rescuer. We have someone who already has come to our aid, another king. That king is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, who saves us, who rescues us from the self-inflicted consequences of our own sin. Let's think about that for a moment. We have a rescuer who is deeply sympathetic to our plight. He wants to rescue us. In the Old Testament siege, the king in the wall was concerned at the depths of human sin that he was witnessing before his eyes. Beneath his robes, he was in garments of sorrow. He sympathized with the people. In some sense, in an imperfect sense, that depicts Christ. It's not a perfect illustration, of course, for this king was every bit as sinful as the people he ruled, whereas our king, King Jesus, is sinless and perfect. But look at the depth of his sympathy. In Hebrews chapter 4 and 15, the Hebrew author tells us that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what we are going through. He was in all points tempted, like as we are, and yet without sin. And he's able to save us. And he's willing to come to our aid. Jehoram the king in the Old Testament passage was sympathetic, but he was utterly helpless. Jesus is different. Jesus is able to save and he's willing to save you today. The Hebrew writer sums it up again for us like this in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives. Jesus can save to the uttermost no matter how desperate your case No matter how deep your sin, no matter how awful your spiritual hunger or thirst, there is no one who is too far from God to be beyond the reach of the Saviour, because he lives. Think of how he rescued us, for he paid for our rescue with his own life. You see, below Jehoram's royal robes in that Old Testament story was sackcloth. But our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, our Rescuer, laid aside his kingly splendour and came down exactly to where we were. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He died for sinners. He died to take upon himself the awful burden of sin, took upon himself our debts, paid our fine in his own body on the cross. A Christian poet expressed it like this. He saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. For me he bore the cruel cross and carried all my grief. The month of july sixteen eighty nine, Schomberg's rescue mission was resumed. A small ship called the Swallow sailed up the foil enduring fire from the banks. It ran alongside the boom, and wielding axes the soldiers wakened the boom enough for the Mountjoy, a larger vessel to be able to ram it and to break through. The siege was lifted. The city was saved, and not without huge human cost. For us God has organized a rescue mission there is a way back to God from those dark places of sin remember that verse from Hebrews he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him let's think about this what did the people inside the city of Londonderry have to do in order to be rescued to be saved? Well, there was nothing they could do. It was all done for them. It was done by someone else. Their responsibility was simply to accept the rescue. It was a gift. Imagine if when the Mount Joy had broke through the boom, the citizens had gathered along the docks of the city and had said, Go away. We don't want to be rescued. Take that ship out of here. We want to stay here in the city of death. They didn't do that. They simply accepted the fact that the rescue has occurred. They accepted the gift of their freedom. They rejoiced. Today, the Divine Rescue mission for you, to rescue you from the city of sin, which is under siege by Satan, and where you are suffering spiritual hunger that will lead to eternal death, that rescue mission has been completed. It was completed at Calvary by Jesus. Accept him. Rest in him. Trust in his finished work. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him.